Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Genesis chapter 13, we're continuing our our study uh, through the life of Abraham, but really what we're we're doing here is we're we're taking some time uh, as a church to see where God wants us to go what God wants to do through our church. God has blessed us incredibly here uh, at New Grace uh, with facilities, with wonderful people, uh, with the greatest pastor in all the world. There we, I got one. I, all right, I got a couple amens there. Uh, but anyway, God's blessed us incredibly, and he doesn't bless us uh, just for us to hoard those blessings for ourselves, but to multiply them for his kingdom especially in these, these difficult days we're living in. We are living in the last days. Uh, Jesus could come back at any moment, which I'm fine with, by the way. Uh, I know, you know some of our younger people, like Lexi, wants Jesus to wait until she's had a chance to live her life. Um, but I know she's going to ruin her life, so even so, come Lord Jesus. No. Um, but you know, he's going to come back any, any minute now, any moment now. This is not the time for us as believers, as a church, to sit back and wait. But it's the time for us to get up and move, to do whatever we can to reach as many people as we can with the gospel before that time. But we're also looking at what your role is at this church to help this church multiply for God's glory. Not just about what God wants to do through us to bless the community, but what God wants to do in us as we grow in our relationship with him, as we deepen our trust in him. Uh, we want to deepen our impact for the king. We want to multiply what God's given us for his honor and for his glory. You know, I said last week that our cars, are, are our hearts are like a car that gets out of alignment. If you've ever driven a car that's out of alignment, you know, you, you don't have, you, your steering wheel's never straight. If you take your hands off, it drifts to the left or the right. And if your car's never done that, let April drive it for a week. It'll do it real well. Um, and so our hearts are like that. If we, if we don't constantly check the alignment and get it corrected, our hearts are going to drift towards self-centeredness or selfishness, where all we care about is ourselves. All we care about is our own families, our own desires, our own needs. And so I want to ask us some questions this morning uh, to help us check the alignment of our heart. You know, ask us questions, you know, like, where are we going? Who, who do we really put our trust in? What is our true priority as a church? But really, what is your priority as a child of God? And look, it can be uncomfortable to ask yourself these questions, but that's good. We need to be uncomfortable and ask these hard questions because we are called by God to be a living sacrifice. And that's a dilemma. Because when you look through Scripture, most sacrifices were dead. A dead sacrifice doesn't get off the altar. A living sacrifice does. A living sacrifice has a tendency to not want to be sacrificed. So it's going to crawl off the altar to try to save itself. So we've got to make sure that we are staying where God wants us to be. We are staying on the altar. Uh, and today we're going to look at our priorities. So in Genesis chapter 13, God puts Abraham 
in a situation where he has a, a choice. He has to choose what is best for him and what God wants him to do. And those aren't always the same thing. Sometimes what's best for you personally or what's best for your family or really what's best for this church is not really what God wants us to do. And we have to decide uh, what we really need to do. And so the problem that Abraham faces, the problem that a lot of us face is we don't, we're not choosing between good and bad. We're choosing between good and best. You know, when you have to choose between good and bad, it's, it's typically pretty easy. You know, you have to choose between killing your teenage kids or raising them and trying to train them. The easy choice is kill them. Amen? And you always want to do it. Uh, that's the good choice. But it's probably not the best choice. The best choice is to beat them into submission, waterboard them if necessary, do whatever you have to to break their spirit. Now, the best choice is to train them and love them and help them through difficult times. See, the decision he makes, the decision Abraham makes in this story, have an incredible impact on how his life turns out. You know, I've read a, a lot of leadership books, not just Christian leadership books, but uh, some, some secular leadership books. And every leadership book, if you boil it down, it really comes down to the same thing, that as a leader, and this applies not just to leaders, but to everybody, the biggest thing you have to do as a leader is to establish priorities. What is the most important thing? What is mission critical to your job, to your goals, to what you're trying to do? And putting things where they belong is key to determining your success in a career, uh, your success as a family, your success in any aspect of life. And it's the same with God. Knowing what to put where, knowing what to prioritize, and a list of good things is, is key to your relationship and your walk with God. So let's start reading in Genesis chapter 13. We're going to start reading in verse number 1. <clears throat> and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and Lot with him into the south. Now remember we saw last week Abraham is in Egypt because God led him to the promised land, led him to Canaan. He gets to Canaan or Bethel. He builds an altar to God in Bethel. He meets with God in Bethel. And then there's a famine in the land, and so Abraham flees to Egypt, messes up tremendously there, uh, tells Sarah, hey, if Pharaoh wants to steal you, tell him you're my sister, not my wife, so that he won't kill me, uh, doesn't trust God. But now he's kind of gotten back on track. He's leaving Egypt, going back to where God has called him to be. He's taking Lot with him, taking everything he has with him, uh, which includes Hagar, which is going to be a problem later on in the story, not today, but later on in Abraham's life. And then verse number 2. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went out on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. That's vital, and we're going to come back and look at that later, but I want you, if you circle or underline or highlight in your Bible, write, make a note of that. Now, when Abraham gets back to where God wants him to be, he goes back to where he first talked to God, where he first built an altar, and he built another one. 
He worships God again. Um, Verse 5, And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelt in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before thee. Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right, then I will go to the left. Now this seems uh, like a small thing that Abraham's doing here. Uh, there's an issue between his, his men and Lot's men. There's strife. And he's like, look, we don't, we don't need to be fighting. We're, we're family. Uh, you're my nephew. I'm your uncle. Uh, plus, there's unbelievers in the land. We don't want to have a bad testimony with them. So we're, just, we're going to separate. Not because we're angry at each other. Not because we hate each other. Just to keep peace. To make sure we're glorifying God. We're going to, we're going to separate. There's nothing, there's nothing huge about that. But how Abraham does it is unheard of. The average person reading this passage during this time, or hearing this story during this time, would have expected one of two outcomes from this this strife that Lot and Abraham are having. The first one is they go to war. And Abraham's going to win. He's got more men. He's more experienced. He's got a bigger army. We see later on that he is very good at battle. So they have this strife. They could go to war. Abraham could defeat Lot's people, his herdmen, his army, claim everything that Lot has as his own and say, you know what, you you mess with the bull, you got the horns, and now all your stuff's mine. Or, Abraham, if they decide to separate peaceably, Abraham should have told Lot where to go. Abraham's the elder. Again, he's wealthier. Now, Lot's got got money of his own. He's He's a successful man in his own right. But culturally speaking, Abraham gets the best choice. Abraham decides where to go. Uh, But instead, he gives Lot the option. He gives the lesser man the choice of where to go. It's unheard of in this culture. It's unheard of in our culture. And you say, how do you know that? You ever, when you're, you're driving down the highway, 81, and you see the signs that say, left lane closed 10 miles ahead, and you get over to the right lane, and then when you get to, the, to the, the where it's closed off, some idiot who saw the signs for the last 10 miles goes all the way and then tries to get in front of you. What, what do you want to do? I don't want to let him in. I'm like, stupid, you saw the signs like the rest of us. Wait until we're all done. We don't want to let them in. It's unheard of to try to help people that we don't think are worthy of our time. But that's what, that's what Abraham does. He defers to Lot. And look at verse number 10. Uh, and Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Again, that's a very important phrase right there. Lot looks out, he sees the land, he sees the valley of Jordan, he sees it's, it looks like, now the Garden of the Lord, he's talking about the Garden of Eden. 
before the fall. He's like, man, that, that land's great. That land's awesome. Uh, verse 11, Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves one from the other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee I will give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thee, I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land, and the length of it, and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Uh, now, if there was a way to increase the scope of the promise that God gave to Abraham, God just did it. The first time he gives this promise to Abraham, he goes, your, your, your offspring are going to be like the stars of the sky. How many stars are there in the sky? I don't know. A lot. Okay? A lot. But now he says, now your offspring is going to be like the dust of the earth. How much dust is there? Look under your kid's bed, you'll find out. There's more dust than there are stars. So Abraham has just gotten this incredible promise from God. But we see, really what I want to focus on here, is the, the contrast between the priorities of these two different men. They had two different ways of looking at the world. Both Abraham and Lot are very successful. They're very driven men. And they both make a vital decisions. And when you look at the decisions just right off the bat, they both seem wise based on their two different value systems. Abraham's decision, his choice, leads to increased blessing, increased prosperity, it leads to God multiplying what He gives him for God's honor and glory. Lot's decision leads to destruction. Abraham has to rescue Lot two different times from this choice. Abraham receives the promise God gave him, and Lot loses everything. By the end of the story, Lot's lost all of his wealth, all of his, his position, his power, his authority, He's lost all of his family, his wife and his daughters, except two daughters who end up committing incest with, getting them drunk and committing incest with them. So not the best daughters to be saved. He loses everything. And we don't hear from about Lot again. His wealth, his power, his family, everything is gone. So we're going to look at both men and their value system and what they prioritize in life. So here's the first thing we want to look at. Number one, Lot prioritized the riches that he saw. Lot prioritized the riches that he saw. When he looked at the options Abraham gave him, Abraham took him to the land and said, Look, Lot, all the land is before us. You choose where you want to go. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. It is based on you. But he made the choice based on one factor only. What's going to make me richer? What's going to make me more money? And look, that's a good choice financially. 
but he didn't even consider where God wanted him to go. And we know that Lot was a believer. He's called just Lot in the New Testament. So he's called just by God. We know he knew God. We know he worshipped God. But there's no prayer. There's no seeking God's will. He doesn't go before God and say, God, Abraham's giving me this choice. Where do you want me to go? He makes his home by Sodom. And the Bible tells us Sodom was known for its wickedness. It was known for its sinfulness. He puts his family in extreme spiritual danger. And he did primarily because that's where the money was. That's where the wealth was. That's where the comfort was. That's where success was. These choices destroy his family. Chapter 13, he pitches his tent near Sodom, facing Sodom. By chapter 14, he is living in Sodom. By chapter 19, he is one of the most prominent men in the city, one of the most respected men in the city. And God comes to him and says, look, because of the wickedness of Sodom, I'm going to destroy. He comes to Abraham. So because of the wickedness of Sodom, I'm going to destroy the entire city, the entire valley. Sodom and Gomorrah, I'm going to destroy them because of their wickedness. And this is where Abraham saves Lot, because he goes to God and says, look, if there's, if there's 50 people who are righteous, and he, he finally gets God to say, if there's 10 believers in the city, I won't destroy the city. Now, when you read the story, there's Lot, there's his wife, there's the two daughters that escaped Sodom with him. He talks about his other daughters who had husbands. So at least two more daughters plus two husbands. Maybe some kids. But that's at least eight people that should have been believers and Lot had been there for years and done nothing for God. The city impacted him. He never did anything for God's kingdom and God's glory. You know, God tells him to leave, and his, his wife and his two married daughters, at least two married daughters, they, they refuse to leave, and so they're killed by, by the, the, the destruction of God. You know, sometimes God calls us to live in Sodom. We live in a sinful world. We, we are not to isolate ourselves from... And look, I know how, how wonderful that sounds. I know how if, if, if I win the $80 billion lottery, I'm buying an island off the coast of Florida that's uninhabited, and I'll witness to the crabs there. Sounds great to me, but God didn't call us to, to isolate ourselves from the world. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are called to be light in the darkness. But Lot prioritized the prosperity of the Jordan Valley, the prosperity over Sodom, he put that higher than God's will for his life. If he, cho- if he had not chose to live where sin was, if uh, he, he would have prioritized, he chose, instead of living where God wanted to do, he prioritized the riches over what he could get over the riches of God. Now look, there's nothing wrong with having a good paying job. There's nothing wrong with that. We, we all have bills to pay. We, we're called to be, you know, take care of our family. There's nothing wrong with having a good paying job. But does your job take you away from God? Are you so busy making money, you have no time for your family? Are you so busy building your career, 
You have no time to serve God. Look, couples who have kids, there is nothing wrong with having your kids be involved in activities, in sports, in different things. And especially, the, you know, the, the, the nowadays, if you want to get into a good college, you've got to have your, I mean, high school kids have to have a stacked resume, which does not make sense to me. They've got to do all this stuff. There's nothing wrong with your kids playing sports or being involved in those things. But do you prioritize their games and their practices and all the things they do over making sure your kids are in church? Over making sure your kids are walking with God? Because look, here's the thing. The chances of your kid making millions of dollars as a pro athlete are slim. The chance of them standing before God is 100%. We have to choose wisely. Why sacrifice eternal things on the altar of things we know are fleeting. We know will not last. Well, your kid goes to college is important. I know that. I've got three kids. I realize it's important that they go to a good college, but it's not as important as where they spend eternity. What is good? What good is success if they lose their soul? What good is me making a bunch of money so my kids have a life better than I have? And look, that's every parent's goal. And there's nothing wrong with that. I want my parent, my kids have a, a better life than I had. But if I'm spending all my time making sure they have a good life so much I don't make sure they know God, I, I'm a bad parent. I've wasted the children God has given me. These aren't wrong things, but God should get their priority in every area of our life. Lot's primary concern was what he could get. And it didn't turn out well. He lost everything. Second about Lot, <clears throat> we realize, is Lot prioritized self-interest over generosity. He prioritized self-interest over generosity. He was more concerned with his own desires, his own possessions, what he could get over being generous to other people. He chose what was best for him even though he had to wrong Abraham to do it. Abraham should have gotten the better choice. He's the elder. Now, I know Abraham deferred to Lot, but Lot should have said, no, uncle, you're the elder. I, 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 whatever you you tell me where to go and I'll go. But he didn't. He cared about what he could get over being a blessing to other people. Lot is miles away from a generous heart. All he thinks about is his own prosperity. Abraham is different. He had his priorities in order. And that's what we're going to look at now. So number three, real quick, don't get excited that I'm running through these points real fast because after four points, I got five stuff points, all right? So third point, Abraham prioritized God's kingdom. His question wasn't, God, what is the best land? His question was, God, where do you want me? God, where do you want me to be? His first act, and I pointed it out to you, his first act when coming to the new land was to build an altar and ask God for direction. The place he went first was Bethel, where he had previously heard from God. The first thing he needed in this new chapter of life was to see where God, what God wanted him to do. Abraham thought about God first and foremost in every decision he made. We see that not only how he makes his decision, but what he does with his blessings. 
Again, the very next chapter, Lot, he's in Sodom, but he gets captured by the kings of Sodom. And Abraham has to come in and, and rescue him. Now Abraham's facing kings now. He's got a weaker army, but he's victorious. God gives him an incredible victory. And during this time when you had a great victory, you took all the riches of, of, of battle. So Abraham saves Lot, gets even more riches uh, from this victory. And the first thing he does after receiving the spoils of war is tithe to, to God, to Melchizedek, who is an Old Testament appearance of Jesus, in my opinion. Not only was God his first thought in making a decision, but God was the first person he thanked for every blessing he ever received. He recognized that every blessing came from God, and God deserved the first fruits of his blessing. Now, why did he give to Melchizedek? If he's trying to give to God, why did he give to Melchizedek? Well, God's method of giving to him is to give to an institution. Melchizedek was, I believe, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. But after this, God had his people give to the, the priest, uh, the, the, uh, the Jewish priests and the temple. In the New Testament, God says for us to give to the church. The church is how God works on earth today. That's why we tithe to the church. That's why we serve in the church. That's why we give our time to the church. But here's the thing. You're not giving to the church. You're giving through the church to bless the world, to build his kingdom. Abraham prioritized God's kingdom. Number four here, Abraham prioritized generosity over everything else. Lot was more concerned with his own self-interests, what he could get for himself. Abraham was concerned with what he could do for others, how he could help others with what God had given him. He thought about himself third in this decision. First, he said, God, what do you want? Second, Lot, what do you want? Third, now I'll, now I'll look out for myself. That's, we don't often do that. We always sort of look out for number one. Now, we may include our family in that, but it's still number one. Now, because of that, because Abraham thought of himself third, guess who thought of Abraham first? God did. Because Abraham said, God, what do you want? How can I be a blessing to other people? God made sure he took care of Abraham's need. And this is not just seen in here. We see it throughout Scripture. Proverbs 19, 17. The Bible says, He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay what he has given. If you lend someone money, first of all, never lend someone money that you can't afford to get back. Just And really, you lend people money, and you can, they can say, hey, I need money, hey, here's, here's $100, here's $1,000, here's $5,000, $50,000, and look, if you can just willingly lend $50,000, me and you need to chat real quick, because uh, I, got, I, I, got, I need a loan. <laughs> but lend it, never expect it to give it back. But here's what God says in this verse. When you are generous with what God's given you to take care of others, you're not lending to a brother or a co-worker or somebody, you know, somebody that may not pay you back. You're lending to God. And God says, I'll repay you. I'll take care of you. You be generous with what I've given you, and I'll take care of everyone else. When you give to help the poor, God makes sure you are paid back. You give of the blessings God has given you, and God makes sure he takes care of everything else. Proverbs eleven twenty four: There is one who scatters, yet increases. And there is one who withholds more than is right, 
but it lends to poverty. Abraham experienced that. He was generous with everything God had given him, and God multiplied him beyond his wildest dreams. Lot prioritized the riches he saw and his own self-interest in every decision he made, and his life led to ruin. Abraham prioritized God's kingdom and the generosity in every decision he made. So here's the question we all need to wrestle with. And again, don't get excited. We're not, we're not winding down. We're just getting ready to, the, to really examine yourself. Which man are you like? Are you like Abraham? God's first and foremost in every decision you make? You're generous with what God's given you? Or are you like Lot? What can I get from me? How can I take care of me and mine? What decision is best going to benefit me? So I'm going to ask you a few questions to help you examine your heart to find out which man you're like. Number one, what is first in your decisions? When you're faced with a choice, when you're faced with a decision, what's the priority that you base making that decision on? Matthew 6.33 says, uh, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Before he gets to that verse, he's talking about clothing and food and shelter. We all need those things. These are needs every human has. And God says, you put me first. You prioritize me first. You put my kingdom first. You figure out what I want you to do first and do what I ask you to do, and I'll take care of everything else. Before, before we worry about those things, put God first and He takes care of everything else. Put God first in your finances. And He'll make sure you have everything you need in life. In every decision you make, no matter how big or how small, do you put God first? Or do you put yourself first? Here's a second question. Does God get the first and best of all that you receive, or does He get the leftovers? Now again, a lot of people get uncomfortable when preachers start talking about money. I do. I hate talking about money, but the Bible talks a lot about money. And I can't skip over the, the stuff I don't like, so we're going to talk about money a little bit. But not just money, really everything. Here's the thing. God is going to take care of this church. I know that. God is going to take care of me. I know that because I honor God. I obey God. So God's going to take care of me. I am well aware of that. And it's not just about money. God gives you talents. God's given you resources. God's given you time. Do you give the first and best to Him, or you'll give to God You'll serve God. You'll do whatever God wants you to do if you have time. If you're not too tired by the end of the week. You know, Abraham gave the first and best of all his blessings to God to tell God, thank you for blessing me. He realized, God, everything comes from you anyway. So I'm just thanking you for the blessings you've given me. In the story of Cain and Abel, you know, both Cain and Abel bring an offering to God. Cain brings the very best of what he has. Cain's a farmer. He brings the best of what he has. The best tomatoes, the best watermelons, the best, I would say okra, but okra's gross. Uh, the best of everything. Some of you are like, okra's gross. I know fried okra's good, but, you know, pickled okra. Yeah. 
uh, you know, you bring the best of it. He bought, he bought the best vegetables, huge oranges and pumpkins and whatever. I don't know what he bought, but he bought the best of everything. Abel bought the firstborn of his flock. God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Now, Abel was a shepherd. Now, when you're a shepherd and you're, you depend on your flock having babies. You know, sometimes they have babies, sometimes they don't. Abel did not wait to see how many, uh, how many lambs or goats or whatever, how many calves God gave him. Whenever, whatever was born first, he offered back to God. He did, how did he know? You know, I've got this newborn calf. I'm going to offer it to God as a sacrifice. He didn't know if he was ever going to get another one. Maybe his, maybe his bull and his heifer uh, would die in a couple days because they got attacked by a lion because now lions are eating things. He had no guarantee that he'd have more if he gave it to God. But he trusted God. He put faith in God. See, the difference was he gave God the first. Cain gave God the best. He waited until the harvest was done. He waited to see what he had and said, now I'll give to God. Now I'll, I'll give an offering to God based on what God has blessed me. Cain waited to see how blessed he was before he gave to God. And we don't know if his offering was smaller than Abel's or not. It probably wasn't. It was probably a bigger offering. It said he gave to God last and Abel gave to God first. Cain is what preachers call a December giver. He waited all year to see if he could afford to give to God. Now look, usually it's a good offering. As a preacher, I love December givers. But God doesn't. God says, I don't want you to wait to see if you can afford to give me a tithing offering. I want you to do it no matter what. He wants to be first in everything. Look, I get paid on the first of every month. About 3 a.m., my paycheck hits my checking account. At 3.02 a.m., my tithe and offering goes out. I never see it. I wake up and, yo, know, there's my paycheck and there's, there's the rest of it. I pay God before I pay Penny Mac, before I pay AT&T, before I pay Allstate, before I pay, you know, uh, uh, Cox, before I pay... Netflix, or Disney Plus, or Max, or Audible, or anything else. God gets the first of everything I have. Whatever you give your first and best to is God in your life. Everybody tithes to something. You give your first and your best to something. What you give your first and your best to shows what you treasure most in your life. Look, if you give the first and best of your paycheck to bettering your life, then your God is status. Lot looked at the Jordan Valley, and it looked like the Garden of Eden. It looked like paradise. It had pastures, had riches, had things that he wanted. He goes, that's what I want. Abraham looked at God's presence and said, God's presence is paradise to me. I don't care if I'm in a desert I don't care where, wherever I am. God, if you're there, that's where I want to be. 
Abraham said he wanted to be where God was no matter where it was. What we give the first and best to shows what you trust most in your life. If the first thing you do with your paycheck is make sure you have savings or retirement, then security. That's where your security is. That's where your trust is. That's what your God is. Abel could give the firstborn of his flock to God because he trusted God to provide for him. Abraham was generous with the land because he trusted God to give him the land that he needed. Look, most of us are, aren't generous because we're stingy. Because we're scared. We're, we're unsure about what's going to happen. Money competes with God in one of two ways, depending on your personality. For some of you, money is significance. You know, nice clothes, a new phone, a nice car, a nice house. You know, it makes... It gives you status. It gives you, you know, makes people think highly of you. And so that's where you find your comfort and your joy in. Whenever you get extra money, the first thing you think is, what can I buy with this? Can I get a new, can I take a vacation with this? How, how can I benefit with this? Others, money is your security. When you get extra money, you're like, we've got to put this away for a rainy day. And here's the thing. Both of these groups of people, whether you're, you're, you like money because it gives you status or whether you need money because it gives you security, they both think the other person is bad with money. They usually marry each other, too, uh, which always is fun. But you, you, they both think, oh, these, people are too, these two people are too stingy with money. They need to live a little. Oh, these people are too frivolous with money. They need to save for a rainy day. And here's the thing. They're both wrong. You both, they both have the same problem with money. Money is their God. It plays a role in your life and, and that, that God is meant to play. God is supposed to be our source of significance. God is supposed to be our source of security. And when He is, we can be generous with everything God's given us. And again, not just financially, but in every area of your life. If you work 80 hours a week, but don't have time to read your Bible, you've got the wrong God. If you spend thousands of dollars getting your kids on travel teams, but miss Sunday, then you've got the wrong God. If you worship your family, then you, you say, man, I can't, I can't serve in the church. I can't give extra time. I can't do whatever because it takes away from my family time. Then your family is your God. And look, none of these things are bad. But they make terrible gods. They lead to destruction. Here's the next question. Do you think, and this is the last question, do you think of yourself as an owner or a steward of your blessings? God told Abraham that he was blessing him so that Abraham could bless the entire world. When he was blessed, he asked, God, how can I use this to be a blessing to someone else? He gave the first choice of land to Lot to be a blessing to Lot. Lot was different. He wanted to get all he could, no matter how it affected other people. Are you a channel of God's blessings or are you a reservoir? of God's blessing. God blesses you so that you can bless other people. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says that you are blessed in every way so we can be generous in every way. God doesn't bless us to increase our standard of living. He blesses us to increase our standard of giving. Our standard of helping other people. If you don't give generously, then God, you are stealing from God. Look, there's some, some, some great... Uh, foundation, non-profits out there. Uh, there's a few I'm never going to give to you. I will never give to the Cancer Fund of America. 
I will never give to the American Breast Cancer Foundation because I, I love cancer. No. Because 1% or less of every donation you give to those, and they're just the top, they're the worst. There's other really bad ones. But less than 1% of what, what you give to them goes to the actual cause. The rest of it goes to pay the salaries of the CEOs. I don't want to give to pay a CEO. They're, to me, if I give them $100 and a dollar of it goes to cancer research and 99 goes to pay some fat cat CEO, they stole my $99. And that's what God says. God says, look, if, you're not, if I'm blessing you and you're hoarding it, you're stealing from me. And again, not just money. God says, I've given you time. I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. And if you're hoarding them for yourself, you're robbing God of being a blessing to other people. God, you know, God gives us so that we can be a blessing to other people. So the end of the story is, God multiplies Abraham beyond his wildest dreams. He shows us kingdom economics at work. Whatever you prioritize before God, you're going to lose. But what you give God first and best, He will multiply for eternal significance. See, Lot prioritized riches over everything else, and he lost everything. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. <clears throat> In life, there are first things, God, and there are second things, everything else. Put the first things first, and God throws in the second things. Put second things first, and you lose both first things and second things. Now, C.S. Lewis is a little... Here's what he's saying. You've got, you can put God first or other stuff first. You put God first, God's going to give you what you need. You put other stuff first, you're going to lose everything. Lot shows us that. Which man are you? Abraham put God and others first. Lot put himself first. Because here's the thing. God put you first in everything. He put you first when he was born of a virgin. He put you first... When he lived a sinless life, you could never live. He put you first when he died on the cross and shed his blood for you. He put you first when he absorbed the wrath of God for your sins. He put you first when he paid a sin debt you could never pay. He put you first when he rose again from the grave three days later to redeem us to God the Father. He's put you first in everything. Why can't we put him first in everything as well? He always put you first. Where do we put him? Is he first, or if I've got something left? Who's first in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.